Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Freaky Friday. We're back. It's Freaky Friday. You're the most animated Kenny ever is. I'm just so I love Freaky Friday. <laughs> we're we're coming at you straight from Coach Frederick's couch here we in are. 2019. We have a uh, we have two guests, two of my colleagues. Uh, did you do Manny or Manuel? You do Manuel in real life. Oh, you can go Manny in this. Manny Figueroa. I'm informal for podcasts. Manny Figueroa. He's in past a future guest, but he is wearing hard pants today. Yes. And Jordan Heimer. They were on for the Ghost Dog episode. It's nice they to were. be back. Um, Quite they a change were, of pace. Yeah, they were yeah. on Step Up High Water with me. Um, do you know that High Water is a school? Well, it's, not, it's not a school. It's not really a school. <laughs> I was asking I was asking our listeners. It's just a performing let, arts laboratory a, that also ooh, functions somewhat as that's a school. Cool. That's yeah. what it is. That's cool. Yeah, see, that should be the pitch. It's a performing and it, you know it has performing a, arts laboratory. It has a fashion department. Dope. I don't know if you know that. Really? You know, our bosses are going to listen to this one. Um, <laughs> this says in a threatening tone. Um, it's a show. It's a great show. Yeah, we, it's like, we love working uh, it's on. It's like it. Fame meets The Wire. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Bill Brown would say. That's cool. That's that's really what... 5% fame. Mostly fame. Yeah, mostly fame. And if you can have any percentage of the wire on your show, that's pretty cool. There's talk of drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So, uh, Uh, so you guys have also written on Defiance. You wrote on a show on ABC that we won't mention. Um, They were on Stumptown. Um, And then uh, you're doing a lot of stuff. Writing a movie right now. It's going to be great. Everything's wonderful. It's great to have you guys back. Everything is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. it is great to be back and uh, very excited to talk Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, we're going to talk about episode 110 today, The Diary. Uh, I'll give a brief synopsis for our listeners. Bill is uh, tired of being confined to deep right field during PE baseball classes and always being the last one picked. He's constantly embarrassed by Coach Fredericks in front of his classmates is convinced he would be a great athlete if he were simply given a chance. Instead of confronting Coach Fredericks with his dilemma directly, Bill takes makes, that is, two prank phone calls to him, one of which consists entirely of insults. Meanwhile, when Lindsay's parents fear that her new friends are having a negative effect on her, they forbid her from hanging out with Kim, and Harold suggests that he and Jean read her diary. When they do, what they read sends their marriage into crisis. The diary aired on January 31st, 2000. It was written by Judd Apatow and Rebecca Kirshner and directed by Ken Olin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to say it. This was not one of my favorite episodes uh, of Freaks and Geeks. Me neither. Um, I think that a couple things occurred to me in, the, in watching this episode. It totally felt 
kind of at odds with itself. Usually, we've talked about this in previous episodes, you got your freak storyline, you got your geek storyline. They don't necessarily converge all that often, but they kind of have their own tonal paths. Usually, the geeks is a little bit broader and the freaks is a little bit richer. But that being said, you know, there's just there were just odd choices that were kind of at play plot mechanics, if you will, that I was just like not completely on board with. It just didn't feel like the show. Um, there were a couple. First of all, uh, I thought it was weird for Bill to get the coach's number and then to do the prank co- prank phone calls felt a little out of character to me. Um, it felt like it was there because it needed to happen, yeah, not because it made sense to the character. Uh, I thought it was also weird to have Mrs. Weir asking for Kim's mother to come over and them going for the diary, like all the plotty stuff felt very NBC to me. Felt very like we want this to happen so this week. We have a theory about this, yeah. where this episode lands, which is essentially this lands about the time NBC started panicking about the show <laughs> yeah. and decided we need to decide whether this is a NBC comedy or an NBC drama. Yeah. And this feels like an episode where they said, we're going to be kind of a Wonder Years comedy. Um, that being said, what do you guys think? So I would just say, putting aside the the meta-narrative we all know now, because Freaks and Geeks is this, this show that we all know, kind yeah. of what happened. And this, No, I think show qua show, this episode really works. Mm-hmm. And so. to me, those bumps feel a little bit, subjective verging even on arbitrary okay like i was a big nerd and prank calls were a huge part of my childhood right and making them and knowing that my dad who i think is cool but is a dentist who drives around with a license plate that says i flossum and is a huge nerd also did prank calls and seeing kind of that right that way and also that that is setting up obviously that a few episodes later neil's going to find out that his perfect father is not so perfect right um yeah, to it's me that like the next episode, it's like the next yeah. episode, no, it's two, two, two episodes. Years. Yeah, to me that plot is is really really effective, and with the other plot, what I really like about it is one of the things that I struggle with is too strong a word, but one element of freaks and geeks that I always think is interesting is Lindsay Weir is is kind of loathable in a lot of ways. She doesn't mean to be, and maybe the fact that I find her risable is that I recognize an element of myself in her, and it's an okay. element that like, I look back and I twist in shame when I think about like being someone who was from the suburbs, who had this kind of healthy nuclear family, but who wanted to feel more authentic, more real, more city, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right from that first moment of this episode, mm-hmm. which is Lindsay and uh, Kim Kelly are hitchhiking. And yes, for Kim Kelly, this is just a thing you do. And Lindsay is getting the thrill of like being a good girl who is hitchhiking. And there's this great moment where she's, she's referencing Kerouac. They're reading On the Road in School. And she says something like, do you ever think about it, Kim? There's this whole other America out there. We're yeah. so sheltered mm-hmm. and there's this world out there. And what she doesn't realize is she's talking to that other world, right? Like Lindsay's greatest privilege is the family she's from. Yeah. And like, she might find her parents and her little brother annoying, embarrassing, whatever. But all she has in her life is love, support, concern, nurture. Like this is the great privilege she has and something Kim Kelly doesn't have. Right. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't realize that she thinks she needs to go have this adventure, whatever, outside of their little suburban town. But like her new friend is a representative of everything that, that kind of she's talking about. And so that plot to me, also, I guess, totally subjective, totally personal. My mom insisted on talking to every mother whose home I went over to until I was in 11th grade. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having Kim's mom over for dinner totally works for me on just kind of a plausibility level. That was the least of my issues. Um, Yeah. But so to me, that's a really nice plot. The way that like just as TV writing, kind of setting up in that first hitchhiking moment, this idea that Lindsay isn't even kind of aware in some ways of – of who her friend is and where their real differences are in terms of privilege, experience, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then kind of working that out, mostly through, honestly, the parents' plot with reading the diary. Right. I, I find that very effective I thought, TV writing. I think, I think everything you're talking about with Kim and, uh, and Lindsay and on the road and the hitchhiking stuff, I loved all of that. I also just want to preface all of this by saying that even the worst Freaks and Geeks episode is probably better than most things that are on television. So mm-hmm. I'm not sitting here saying that this is a bad episode of television. I'm saying when you put it next to their great episodes, this one just falls a little short to me. I think it also just felt like 
my issues were less, and this tends to be the case. We've talked about this a lot, but the, the, the freak storylines are generally stronger. The geek storylines tend to kind of do, you know, fish in a barrel stuff where it's like, you know, the, the baseball stuff, we've seen that a million times before. So there wasn't, what I did like about it was after the catch, them undercutting the, the situation and being like, it's one out. There's still like, why are you getting so excited about this one thing? I think that, and the Bill stuff does tee up the future relationship mm-hmm. that's coming down the pike with Coach Frederick. So I appreciate all of that. Um, it just, it felt, and, and Kenny and I sort of have a theory that it did feel a little bit like these two episodes back to back, which is We've Got Spirit and The Diary, are two episodes where the geek storylines are very broad and very silly and very, and very NBC thin. friendly. Yes. Like the fact that they work, and I do think that they work, but they're treading familiar ground, um, particularly the geek storyline. This mm-hmm. is almost like beat for beat what happens in the last episode, We Got Spirit. Mm-hmm. Essentially like a typical geek situation. Yeah. Where, uh, how, how do we emerge from our geekdom? Mm-hmm. This typical geek place that we found ourselves in by doing something a little wild, a little unexpected and winding up falling on our face. So is it like trying to grasp to some sort of formula for the geeks? Like, it, like it at feels that point a little sitcom That's exactly right. what I'm getting at. It feels a little like, and, and this changes in the next episode. Yep. Like to the show's great credit, like they yep. start undercutting all of these tropes mm-hmm. as you do once you've kind of established your rhythms. But these feel rhythm. These feel like this, this entrenchment of this is what you'll see from the geeks every week. And this is what you'll see from the freaks every week. So I think maybe, cause I do like, you're obviously like kind of objectively right. Like it, <laughs> it is really strong. The yeah. show is really strong at its worst. But for us, I think it feels just a little like, Let's find the layers that you wind up finding. You guys have seen the episodes that come, right? Particularly like. No, I haven't. That's why this is so interesting. I watched this completely. I've seen the first three episodes of Freaks and Geeks. And then, you know, it disappeared from Netflix. And I'm not going to watch it on Daily Motion with like commercials for Saudi Arabian tourism. You don't want to watch that? No. Oh my I, god! I, I like, want to give you the like, DVDs. Like and I they said play I them would. back to back. Like in <laughs> yeah, case you missed the first yeah, episode. Saudi ass. It's very strange. What There's about this time? Good. Now do you want to go? Still no. Yeah. Get your head um, chopped off. Oh wow. But watching it out of context was interesting because it totally worked for me. But and you knew that you knew that that was Bill's mom. Did you guess that that was Bill's mom? Well, I mean, like I had seen it first run all oh, those okay. years ago, all but right. like. I don't remember like shit. It was like vague memories of, of what was, and also conversations with people. My girlfriend loves freaks and geeks and that was her favorite show of all time and is. Um, and what really worked for me was like, I think you're right on the plot level. There's a lot of sort of like bumpy stuff, high school tropey shit. You know what I mean? But it's like the moments within it really, really work. Like maybe the crank call was unearned, but when he that first phone call and the coach is like you're just hearing the theme to different strokes while he's eating ice cream <laughs> like with that like super cinematic way of telling you everything like you get the character where he is in his life and like you get it all and another great example of that because i think that's true right you guys are correctly finding pat macro structures in the plot but where freaks and geeks is always going to kind of be elevated Mm -hmm. is even within those, the details are so finely observed. So like the geek storyline, that first moment for for anyone who hasn't watched it recently, the big thing worrying the geeks is they are always picked last Mm -hmm. for softball. And you see this first in kind of a musical sequence where it's scored to an XTC song and one by one they're being picked. But what's interesting about it and what I would say is unusual compared to the way 99 out of a hundred sitcoms would do it is these are guys who you wouldn't think that they would want to be picked for a baseball team, right? Two of them don't. Yeah. And two of them it's just don't. just Bill. But, but actually, that's not even true. What's really nice is, yes, Bill's the only one. Martin starts so good in this episode. Mm-hmm. Bill's the only one literally muttering, pick, pick me, me, pick I, me, pick I'm me. I'm good. Yeah. But, I could be good. But I could be as good, yeah. all the boys are being picked, and as we're getting down to just the freaks, the geeks, the spazzes, which is our guys plus two or three other kind yeah. of well, it's know, Gordon, Gordon, Chris, <laughs> yeah. and the, the oh yeah, to the, shave his head, kind of the nervous chuckler, yeah, in the first episode. Yeah, I can't remember what his name is. But, yeah, he's he's uh he's. But what you going. see is 
the pressure of not wanting to be last affects all of them. They're, none of them are indifferent. That's true. And you see mm-hmm. that actually they all kind of turn on each other. And in those moments, even though it's like these small emotional turns, Sam is overjoyed yeah, he jumps to be up picked and, yeah. before Neil. And Neil is ebullient to be picked <laughs> before Gordon Crisp. And Gordon, Gordon Crisp yeah. gets yeah. his 320 pounds out to the mound as fast as he can yeah. to be ahead of Bill Haverchuk. <laughs> and like that kind of observation yeah. that in that kind of crucible of high school – you can say whatever you totally. want to say. You do not want to be picked last, you know, and they all that's, feel that's the clunkiest a, part. I of had the a whole, problem with whole. that. I had a problem with that thing because, like, as my old writing partner would say, I reject the premise of that. Not what you're saying, but the fact that these kids who definitely seem like they're not into this, even yeah. Bill, like it doesn't seem like they actually want this. It's felt like a writer's room conversation where Judd Apatow said, like, I like this, and the people are like, but it doesn't make sense. They like dungeon, like they don't want to be yeah. shortstops, like. It but felt girls forced, are watching. but here's the thing. Girls Cinematically, and I know I've used that twice now, it works because they keep hitting you with songs and they're presenting it to you in a way where it's like slow motion. You're seeing people get picked and it's making you buy into it. Like, okay, I'm kind of feeling it. But like when it, if it really comes to like motivational, like I just don't see it for these guys. Well, my, my issue is kind of, I love the, this. but they're literally playing Rocky. They're manipulating the whole situation. Yeah. It's like, and it was like, it, it works. It's fun. I like it, but I don't believe it's, this at all. It's, it's a first pass idea. It's a, it's a, it's a day one. It's a day, idea. it's a day one. Put it on the board. What happens to geeks? They get picked last. We'll tell a little different story about it, but that's not really what this show does best to me. And I don't, I didn't find myself caring that much. Now I care once Bill is sitting across from Coach Frederick's in the scene. office. Yeah. Yep. Once you start establishing that relationship, and I, I said this to you guys in the office. I love Thomas Wilson in this show so much. Amazing. He's amazing, and the character's so well written. I believe him a hundred percent, and I love how sympathetic he is to the geeks' plight because mm-hmm. he, he obviously has some, like geek DNA yeah. in him. So the, the, how sympathetic he is to there, the storyline will not, cannot, does not work unless he's willing to listen to Gordon's quote unquote father and then Bill straight to his face. So the moment when Bill says, I could be captain and, and him just being like, yeah. Yeah. You know what though? That was a great scene, but that again felt like bullshit to me because it was like, really the coach thinks that the best thing to do is make the geeks the captain of the squad and let them like, and, I just didn't see how this would be the solution to like that. I push back around. around. If you watch the episodes <laughs> around this, it's a great bit of stunt casting, right? Because you're casting Biff Tannen yeah. as his mm-hmm. coach. And so you're helping the audience to initially have this idea of the coach as one type of person. But throughout the three or four episodes where he's really prominent, you see that that, uh, that, that kind of way he presents. Yeah. Is not who he is. That this is a man of deep I, empathy. Yeah, and I, who, no, I get, I get that. And I've seen like some episodes that he's in. Like I've seen the garage door, and I've seen different like scattered episodes. And the sex, ed, the sex episode, the, it's the episode. But I yeah. felt like yes, that's the character he plays. But this one moment felt like does he really think that making the geeks the captain will fix everything and all the jocks won't actually bully them more and this is an even crazier outcome to like a non problem. That these What's, kids don't actually want. Like, it all felt like what you said, day one of a, something that sticks on the board and then, like, it's there and they film it. Well, to that like, point, I, and this is sort of comes a little bit more into, into this sort of networky vibe, which is on some level, you could see NBC being like, it'd be great if the geeks became the captains mm-hmm. and then yeah. the fun that would, totally. the, the, the fun that comes from that. Um, and I understand that, but to your point, it's unmotivated and you kind of have to buy into it. And I think that they do the best they can to round the edges off the buy-in and make us, and make us take it. But, but I, I, I guess it's just sort of, and again, it's, it's trying to tee up what they're coming down the pike with, which is coach Fredericks and Bill's mom and stuff that they have coming down the pike. But it just feels like you're seeing the strings Mm -hmm. In a way that we've never seen the strings this before is, on this This is show. what I would say about this particular storyline. In television, in really good shows, you build, you build, you build. You you, you have bigger stakes. You have bigger yeah. obstacles because they've already transversed the smaller obstacles and the smaller stakes. We've already seen, like, to me, the quintessential uh, gym class nightmare, which is, like, you're a pre-pubescent kid <laughs> – 
around pubescent kids <laughs> and you're going to have to shower with them. Yep. And that was early on. After that, like Everything not pales in comparison for the baseball yeah. team. Like, no, I, I don't know what the, what the deeper thing they're getting at here. So I, I, I get that. Like, I I get what any other show could tell me. I get what, what human existence could tell me that, like, you don't want to be picked last and you don't want to be associated with, you know, kind of weakness and, you know, mm-hmm. not being a masculine guy when you're 14, you know, to the girls are watching point. But it's just a step back. But also yeah. that raising stakes paradigm wasn't really how Freaks and Geeks operated. And maybe that's why it only ran one it's season, true. right? It's because yep. But if Freaks and Geeks had run four or five seasons – it would have been an Apatowian Wonder Years, where Wonder Years didn't get bigger every year. Like, the stakes weren't different with Winnie every year. Like, he kept having the same issues, essentially, with his parents and his girl and mm-hmm. his best friend. And, like, so to me, I hear what you're saying, and you guys are persuading me. It's not the most elegant episode. <laughs> it's, but I, I, don't think, I don't think this is necessarily something where... <clears throat> because we've already seen the Carrie-esque nightmare of changing in sure. gym class then I don't want to see the slightly less nightmarish thing of being a spastic it's not, who's picked last. It's not that it's invalid. Of course it's valid. It's that what they did with it doesn't get deeper than uh, than, than kind of what, what we already know on the surface. And I, don't, I mean – And also like – go ahead. No, no. I'm good. It's a strange validation that they're looking for. They want to be jocks for a day? Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it also goes back to a well a little bit. Like, we've seen a lot of PE with the geeks over the course of this show so far. We've seen Dodgeball. We've seen the ropes course. We've seen the, you know what I mean? We've seen, like, it's just, and I get it. Jason, we've seen Sex Ed. We've seen, yeah. yeah. And and again, like, I, I understand why it's a good tool. I understand that there's only so many places that they can go that will sort of really shine a light on how uncoordinated and, and not athletic these guys are. Um, but it's easy and it's a little bit of fish in a barrel. And then on top of all of it, this is a really tropey thing, like a baseball being picked last situation. Geeks are geeks all day long. Yeah, geeks don't say, uh, I've always wanted to have a meeting on the mound. What the fuck? No. (laughs) See, again, you're you're a baseball So were these kids. I totally buy that they're from an era where, like, late 70s, where actually baseball geek, that feeling of, like, I'm a geek, but I also love the rhythms of baseball and the kind of way that now is only basically George Will. But, like, that... I George mean, I know Will that exists. Love yeah. of baseball, or Ken Burns yeah. love of baseball. <laughs> no, I know those nerds, but I just didn't. I felt like these were the Comic Con nerds. These are the nerds the past, who watch. These are, I mean, the Gary Shandling, Shandling nerds. Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling nerds. nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Martin. Comedy nerds. nerds. They're comedy yeah. nerds. Yes. yes, that's exactly who they are. They're like, but Jerry Seinfeld's a baseball nerd. Oh, for sure. And I guess I'll just say, like, I see a, a cross sectionality. And, and I'm a base. And I grew up a baseball nerd. Like. You and I, <laughs> you and I are a very specific brand of nerd that know. that no one ever talks about. But the sports nerd They're called Mets fans, Mets fans, <laughs> like the, we're an unrepresented, <laughs> unrepresented <laughs> brand of nerd. But not like not like not like the guy in Little Giants, very who's informed creating, fans who's creating <laughs> annexation of Puerto Rico. That's not a real guy, but like the guy who like you know the guy who's playing. Fantasy baseball in fifth grade. Well, that's not these guys. Let me tra- <laughs> no. let me transition thusly, because okay. even though I will kind of uh, defend as more elegant than you guys are making sound this whole baseball thing, I thought the most inelegant moment in the episode, and the the moment that to me felt like, boy, did anyone try to stress test this outline and really ask <laughs> would it have gone down this way? So Kim's mom comes over to meet with the Weirs yeah. because they're worried that Kim is a bad influence and on Dad, Lindsay. by the way. Yes. And and what you see is a her portrait second appearance on the show. Of, she's just a terrible mother, right? She runs down her kid. Yeah. Uh, yes, life is hard. She's a single mom, but she's so terrible. And A, I did not believe that the Weirs would not see they come away thinking she's kind of a saint. That she the has, that, yes, yes, that the mom has sure. this really hard life. Sure. That felt to me that false. Yeah. That Mrs. Yeah. Weir is so emotionally yeah. out to lunch that, that she doesn't see like what kind of daughter would have had a chance with a mom like this. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it felt compounded to me by Lindsay fully downloading that to Kim as if it was her her parents' opinions. Mm-hmm. That actually 
I was trying to imagine if I'd had that conversation, right? If you were Lindsay oh, if you were and dead. you saw Kim, A, I'm not saying, yep, yeah, look, my parents say we can't hang out anymore because they think you're stupid and you have sex. But B, if I am saying that, I'm definitely <laughs> saying, and by the way, this is hard for me to say, but your, mo- right. your mom said all this. Like, your mom runs you down. Like, she is. Right. That's what I thought was coming when I was watching it. It was super weird because I was like, clearly, they're going to think that this is a bad mother. And then, like, when. Lindsay talks to, to uh, Busy Phillips. Um, she's going to be like, hey, I got this. Like, your mom said this, and she was going to, and she'd be crushed by this. But it just went in this other direction that I didn't totally understand. It's, I mean, it kind of comes back to what we were saying a little earlier th- from sort of 30,000 feet, which is that things are happening because they need to happen. Um, yeah. and, and it's because we need this to happen later. So we're going to do this. And, and as we all know, usually that stuff gets ironed out in a room, and usually that we find, you know, ways to kind of, massage it so it doesn't feel as jarring as it does feel in this episode. sure. And sometimes we don't. So what do you guys make of the fact that all of this stuff with our protagonist is in service of a story about her parents? Because ultimately the story is about their marriage. I really like that. I I really liked the the scene when they read the diary and rather than reading illicit stories of drugs and sex, it's a, it's a condemnation of their marriage and who they are as people. uh, And it fucks them up actually kind of tees up a little bit of what happens in the next episode where Lindsay then tells the freaks about how shitty they are and, Mm -hmm. and, and that they don't have any future plans and that fucks with them and kind of creates, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a fallout from that. I, I appreciate the fact that it zigged when I thought it was going to zag on the parents storyline. Um, I would argue it's probably maybe the most successful storyline in the episode. Uh, but I also felt like to get there, we had to do some gymnastics. Hmm. Well, I've, I wrote on a show where it was about people in their like early twenties, but parents were also the char- also characters. And mm-hmm. we had a mandate from the network. Uh-huh. No stories about the parents. Really? Yeah, which sucked. It, like crippled us, you know, because they were really compelling characters and it really mattered to them that their daughter was doing this or doing that. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I think this is great. I think it's, and I think it's super important for these characters great. where you, particularly where you know the next two episodes are going. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the episode after this where Lindsay gets in a car accident. Correct. Crashes her parents' car. And the episode after that is where Mr. Schweiber cheats on his wife mm-hmm. and that's important too to know like kind of where the weirs stand right yeah. now to each other yeah i think it's you know and and honestly it kind of makes us fall back in love with them a little bit you know and and seeing them navigate this sort of situation it's it's that and mr it's, schweiber clear, clearly won't do correct there's that there's the scene when uh with the the cornish hen mm-hmm. scene yeah it's heartbreaking because you're just like the, the Jean is so clearly sort of kind of adrift and unsure of how she feels about her husband in this moment. And he's just mocking her and making her feel terrible about herself. Um, and then to see him, you know, come to her at the end and say how important she is to him. It, it's a really nice arc. It's a really nice storyline for them. Um, yeah. I, I wish that it was serviced in perhaps an episode where everything else was a little bit more in line, but you know, can't have it all. But a moment like that, like, I mean, that was, it was just great to see like her sort of snap out of yeah. whatever like unaware reality that she's been living for years and him to be completely clueless. And like that moment, it's not a moment of cruelty. It's a moment of just not being emotionally connected enough to even know what's happening totally. right now. But by the way, it's also a deeply romantic moment in a way. Yeah. Because is. one of the reasons that Mr. Weir is so emotionally unaware is because with total sincerity, he basically says – I don't you're go my a, everything. Yeah, you're my everything. Yeah, I don't yeah. go a day without thinking about you. Yeah. Right? When I'm putting out the fishing poles, I'm thinking about you. And so the reason he's not able to kind of come up with the empathy needed on cue when he's asked to is because he deeply doesn't understand even what's being asked of him. Doesn't like, comprehend the notion yeah, like, that she's not his everything. My whole life is essentially yeah. creating this Which family. is beautiful. That is kind of what lovely. What it's like to be in a long-term relationship. <laughs> no, for real. That is yeah. what it feels like. It's like y- – you, you, I mean, at least in my long-term relationship, like I am one, I'm in my head, I'm at a hundred all the time. Right. You know, like I'm at a hundred all the time in terms of like my feelings for my wife. Like it's, it's there, like there are no real bumps for me. And it's also elegant, again, going back to what you said earlier, which is even a clunky episode of Freaks and Geeks is 
on such a high level compared to most network TV. It's also elegant in reminding you of something that Apatow's great with, with the Lindsay Weir character, which is no one is less emotionally aware than a deep teenager, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> a teenager who thinks that they're starting to really yeah. see how things work yeah. and really see what adults are all about. She needs James Franco's character to explain yeah. to her, oh, you you thought Busy Phillips' Kim Kelly is tough and not emotionally vulnerable? She's the most emotional. How, how do you not see She's that? She's a raw yeah. nerve, She's right? a raw nerve. And like, yeah. oh, you, you think your parents like don't understand what it is? Like, be in love and really understand? No, no, like, also, it's so great. Like uh, James Franco, like represents all those like worst instincts in like a relationship that you have, where it's like, let me show you why you're wrong. Like in that moment, where she's like, actually, the parents, uh, you do have sex, you do take drugs. Like, who wants their kids to take yeah. drugs and have sex? And it's like, you see the dynamics of their relationship, like that. It's like way more like nuanced than it seems. Like, I mean, to me, because I hadn't yeah. seen all the rest of the stuff, I popped in there, and it was just like, oh wow, like. This is this isn't like a black and white thing between these two characters. Yeah, I mean they do. I, the, again, testament to uh, the writing and to and to James Franco making that scene just feel really real and genuine. And and you know it's 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 just it's again they they always find a way to mine really interesting stuff, even if they are you know in sort of a tropey situation. You know, I think that they. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I don't they just understand these characters so well by now? Mm-hmm. And you sense that they could put them in any situation and they're just doing the the characters just written so unbelievably richly in whatever the situation is. I do think that there is, you know, it's interesting because I was just, I was looking at the, um, the air dates of these episodes just to sort of get a sense of where maybe they were in the trajectory of the show. And so the show, you know, it, it, it airs in the fall, goes October, October, November, then it goes away and it comes back in January in a different time slot. It gets basically five weeks in that slot. Um, and that is episode 11. And then it starts with 11. No, no. It's it starts with uh it goes seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's the run that decides the fate of this show. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you see, you know, that first couple are really solid, interesting mm-hmm. episodes. Basically, you've got the one about Virginia, you got a bunch of stuff. Then it kind of pivots. You've got we've got spirit, the diary, looks and books. And that to me feels like we're going to try to give NBC a closer version of what they want. I might like looks and books better than the average. I liked it too. Freaks and Geeks viewer. But I'm just, that was the last one before it gets pulled uh, until March. Mm -hmm. And then it gets two more kicks at the can and it's toast. And it feels like, that's sort of, there's this, there's, you, you can just sort of see a little bit of a trajectory of like, we're trying to do our show. Okay, we're going to try to do something a little bit more mm-hmm. broad, a little bit more what NBC wants, and it doesn't. It ultimately doesn't matter. But it's just interesting that you can sort of you can sort of see something happening. A sea change. So in March, that's Neil's dad is it's cheating. Garage door and, and choking and choking. Is and that Amy Seth Rogen with Amy? Yes, and that's it. Yeah. Well, those. I, so it's interesting. The show that like I always remember had to change themselves for their network at a, you know what I'm going to talk about? I think so. Yes. Uh, at a chance to survive as Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. And the third season of Veronica Mars is, have you gotten there? Uh, no, still second season. And have you ever seen it? 
Yes, but when it aired. The third season of Veronica Mars is the saddest season of television that's ever been produced. <laughs> Great. It is it, it broke is the, Kenny. it is the most it, it is like it is like I don't know. It's like watching your best friend have like his heart stomped out and like walk around like a zombie. It's like it's so depressing it is. that they take like this perfect television show and turn it into like the dumbest like teen soap procedural possible. It's a Freaks and Geeks great credit that it's bad episodes. Mm-hmm. The episodes that I think are serving the network and the network's notes are still playing at this high, really absolutely high level. Couldn't agree. More. And then I do think like the the garage door, the one where Seth Rogen is dating uh, Amy and finds out she's intersex, feel to me like the writers being like, "Fuck it, we're doing it our way." Yes, <laughs> I know? absolutely agree. I mean, it it also feels like. I mean, what choice do we have? It's it's like we said in uh, in the Peanuts episode. Yeah. If if, if, we're, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the classic Peanuts episode. Um, so I, there's also a lot of really funny, great stuff in this episode, just to be clear. I think there's uh, Mr. Weir saying hitchhiking like some woman of the night. <laughs> which I, it's just like making two things come together that don't make any sense, but I still love it. I love that James Franco moment uh, when he's like uh, – trying to get Lindsay to make up with her, but he's like, she's, she's just annoying me. Like she's driving me crazy. It's not like, Oh, she's yeah. broken. It's like, she's driving me insane. It's like, thank Please God. Make her stop talking. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. Uh, I love Mr. Weir thinking that Lindsay's sewing kid is birth control pills. <laughs> I love the English teacher starting his, uh, his seminar on the road by saying today, we're not in a classroom. We're in a coffee house. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not you're not poets yeah. you're beats <laughs> I love it's that. great also I the mean, Spanish teacher being like that was such a great uh, scene in Espanol yeah. and like yeah. she's, she's trying <laughs> to continue so this funny. very important conversation he's like but por que <laughs> clase es importante <laughs> también <laughs> They do. They nail teachers so, so great. well. Yeah. They really, really do. I mean, I also love that they that they find a way with the on the road thing at the end, where where uh, Kim is just like fuck this book and the read twenty foot pages of it, and nothing happens. It's boring as shit. And Lindsay finds in the most sort of like nerdy, sort of pretentious way to defend her through a criticism of... And didn't Truman of- Capote once say? <laughs> I gotta tell you, that's going to remind me of my writing partner, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I like, really oh, that, that and that first moment where she's like, isn't this great? Like, this is just like some literary thing. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm just living life. I know. <laughs> who's, who's pitching you the story today? Oh, there you <laughs> One of the writers was, was telling Jordan about the season of Riverdale, and Jordan just goes, he, Jordan just goes, oh my God, they're doing Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they have a plot where off screen there's a car accident, and then you find out that they switch drivers. It is the end of Gatsby. They're doing Gatsby. They're doing Gatsby. Oh, <laughs> he didn't say, oh my God, they're doing Gatsby. He just looks at her and he goes, uh, Gatsby. Gatsby. Yeah. <laughs> It's not fantastic. pretentious if it's accurate. <laughs> it was oh, accurate. That's really funny. <laughs> um, there's also just, and I've, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but there's just little things, little choices that they make. And and one of the uh, the things that I, I think does that is the holes in Bill's socks. Mm, I love that. <laughs> like, they're just like, yeah, no, I, I, I know that kid mm-hmm. who's got like three giant holes in it. Like, why is he even wearing the socks at this point? But it's great. You but, also can't beat the actual dialogue, which then... Each kid has to repeat back to the gym teacher to figure out who oh, did the prank so call good. of the prank call. It's like the usual suspects. Yeah. Stinky, me stinky keys. turd. <laughs> you butt, like to patter. You're a butt patter. <laughs> you like to pat boys' butts. <laughs> you butt patter. <laughs> hand, hand me the keys, you, you motherfucking cocksucker. But like, yeah. there's like even layers within like uh, right. Neil. Like you know, he loves to do impressions and all that. And then like his dad is doing like the most racist impressions. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, I'm Maurice. And he's like, he's like I'm senor, where's Maurice? It's like, it's like, like he's just doing every ethnicity. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I think that uh, I also love the kid that's like, there's some really mean stuff in here, Coach. <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, it's like the jock, right? Yeah, the yeah. Jock. Because jocks are ultimately the biggest nerds in the whole in yeah. the whole school. Keep just nerdy about sports. That, What's that? Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> yes, the jocks were the real nerds all along, and the sex they were having was masturbation. 
That's not yeah, fair. Yeah. Well, yeah, jocks are total dorks. You spent so much time around jocks. They're such dorks. Yeah. dorks for sport. But what? this is like high school that, like Orwellian the... double speak. Like they were. <laughs> yes, they were cool. They were cool. Couple the jocks they cool. and they're like, uh, what is it? Like it's the world, like the nerds world now or something like that. Oh, like, the nerds have inherited the yes, earth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I thought the casting of, of Mr. Schreiber is perfect. The yeah, dad, yeah. I mean, raising Arizona, just unbelievable. It's just, it's great. He's he great. really, he looks so much like Sam Levine. I thought he might be his actual dad. <laughs> they, yeah, it's great. Um, I, you know, I like as we, uh, the tee up of the, of the affair that's coming down the pike in a couple episodes. Um, I, you know, I, I, I thought it was kind of brutal watching Mrs. Weir at that dinner, but I think it was an important sort of point that we had to have. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's weird. Like I'm conflicted because at the same time I liked the geeks getting a victory because they don't get victories very often. I just kind of wish that it wasn't at this expense, if that makes any sense. Like I was happy to see them get to be captain. I was happy to oh. see them win, you catch know, the ball. catch the ball and just in general, just be like at the top of the food chain for an episode. A nice little grace note to that mm-hmm. is Neil, who has this crush on Lindsay throughout the episode when she comes home and he just turns like, I was catcher today. <laughs> and of course, yeah. like, cool, Good. Neil. Cool. cool. <laughs> don't, don't care. Yeah. That's great, that, Neil. The subtlety of Neil's love for Lindsay, and, and we, we mentioned a little bit in the, in, in 112, but the meatballs, there's well, it's earlier just, too, because they, it, it's, it's pretty prominent. It's a, a it's a big storyline in um in the second episode, mm-hmm. Beers and Weirs, right? Mm-hmm. They're sitting together in the, the in best. one of the rooms, and Neil's trying to uh, comfort her. And he makes her cry more. Do. He makes her cry more. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just runner throughout the series, and they play it the exact right way. A, a much worse show would have them at some point consummate this this affair, but that would never happen in real life. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's 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 perfect. It's I, I feel like it just feels there's there's always a you know a friend of a brother who has a crush on an yeah. older sister like that. It's just it's a dynamic that's great. Uh, I also love that post coital Mister Weir is totally fine with Kim. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I loved all that stuff, but it did seem weird that the. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Weir banging on the other side of the door yeah. while the kids are watching TV. Like, <laughs> they seem so buttoned up and now they're yeah. libertines. Like, what happened? Like, well, you know, take it with It happens. Get it. Well, I guess oh, I don't you know. Weird, you <laughs> you got it. I also think there's, there's a suggestion from just how happy they both are. I think this is the first time they've banged in, in a while. Yeah. Like, like six, right eight, on the other side. I of know, the but when it happens, you, you, you take them all. I love it, but I don't know. What about Neil? Like, <laughs> and then he's like, around. round two. Like, get back in here. Yeah. They, you know what? There is an episode earlier where, like, she just offhandedly says to him, you want to have sex. Yeah. And they go to have sex. Yeah. So they sex. You know. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're really the, don't they, they strike sex. you as the uh, proto, they're Kitty and Red. And I never from thought about show. from that '70s show. Oh yeah, sure. watching yes. it tonight. Yes, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. This is Kitty and Red, but it's kind of like earlier. the same time. It's funny because like is after the '70s show. '70s show came out early? in like '98. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was thinking that '70s show was early 2000s. Is that really? Yeah. You know the the huh. staffs of those two shows had a had a feud. Oh, interesting. A great feud. Yeah, Apatow and, Apatow and, yeah, that's, and that's, Mark something, but. Mark Brazil. Mark Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, they had a, they had a feud because Mark Brazil. Yes. You know, they're obviously both like shows made in the nineties, seventies, yeah. you know, early eighties, whatever. And Mark Brazil thought that they stole a storyline from him. They didn't actually steal a storyline from him. And Mark Brazil was so angry, he wrote him a long letter. At the end of the long letter, he said, "Get cancer." Yeah. And then Judd Apatow wrote back, "You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait for you to get cancer, and then I'll steal it from you." That's Every, it. Everybody lost there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one wins in that exchange. That was the cancer That 70s comedy. show uh, <laughs> premiered in 99, so uh, oh, wow. we got to- Oh, premiered in 99? Second half of the first season Oh, we'll be back. Oh, we'll be doing so it. 70s show. Do you guys like that 70s show? I love Dude, that 70s I, show. I mean, I think me and Jordan are on the same page. We're like, I watch reruns all the time. Like, they'd be on like two times a day. It's weird. It's a show I never thought of myself as really liking and mm-hmm. then realized, along with Malcolm in the Middle, it's pretty funny. If it's on, I'm going to watch and yeah. it's really worthy. Like, it's, it's a really good show. It's kind of the show of our generation as far as like broad comedy stuff. It's like, it was on like all our 20s. Yep. So it was just like there. Yeah. Like, did you know that uh, the director of the pilot directed all 200 episodes of it? No, no one else directed an episode. What's of his, name? Uh, his name is uh, David Trainer. 
Actually, my what? Both them. They're, they're just. They're just. I, th- I think they're proud of me for how well yeah. I've become. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and sorry, I take it back. The pilot was directed by Terry Hughes. Yeah. Every other episode was directed by David Turner. That's, that's multicam. I was just saying it's today, crazy, though. there is no financial racket in Hollywood like directing a pilot. I heard you say that. It's <sighs> yeah, That's where you get paid. If you, like, can, if you can... Terry Hughes, that is some nice it, passive income for one the next episode? 10 years of your life. Isn't it? I mean, I'm going to say something. Uh-oh. I think it's 100000 an episode. Yeah. It is. It's a hundred thousand an episode for every episode. Yeah, for those same and angles. And that's before residuals, right? Like that's just that's your flat that's, fee. You no 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 no. The residuals okay, is one hundred thousand okay. an episode. Yeah. So like David Nutter, who had an eleven year streak of, of pilots, directed pilots who went to series, including like pilots that went you know yeah. shows went like eleven years, like suit like uh, Arrow, the Superman show, whatever that was called, Smallville, Smallville. Make it a hundred thousand dollars every fucking episode that airs. He has nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's That's crazy. Nuts. I mean, it's 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 definitely it's less so now, obviously, because we don't w- live in the same world. But like David Trainer never needs to do everything ever again. Doesn't need to do a thing. Yeah. In fact, I don't know his name. I don't know if he has done <laughs> anything else. But it's it's really it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, that seventy show, a show that I remember existing, seeing the occasional episodes. The cast obviously became stars most sure. of them um or scientologists and yeah. terrible people or, but most of them became yeah, stars or, or rapists yeah yeah that too <laughs> you know terrible people you that's, know, that's famous to, right yeah just one of them just one just one well one that we know yeah uh but whoa somebody's after yeah. wilmer there but it's <laughs> But it's uh, it's really it it really was a huge show. Like it's and it's a kind of a show that people sleep on a little bit. It's it syndicates. It's on. It's there. It's out in the it's world. Pretty but, funny. I watched yeah. like some on Netflix recently, and I was like, Meh, I wonder if it'll funny. have like that Renaissance moment because I feel like it might. I think it know? might. So. I think I think it would probably happen like nowish. Yep. Like I think it might come back like right nowish. Yeah. But uh, like when we do the podcast, like this yeah, moment when we talk about this it, we launched yeah, yeah, we launched so many moments. <laughs> So but, many moments. Um, I never felt that way about that show. I didn't dislike it, but I never. And I watched a. I watched a lot because it is kind of. It was a show that was just easy. It was to watch ubiquitous. And it. It was yeah, and it was a, it was a rerun. It's show. like a show you like, eat a sandwich to, where you're like it's half a, totally, eat a sandwich you know? to at like right. four o'clock in the uh, afternoon. It just happens to be on. Yeah, it's uh, like you're any, unemployed. You know, I mean, things aren't good. You're like, you're like please, make, any laugh will do. Make me, uh, <laughs> any laugh will do. Well, there's just something about it that I, I actually do like. Come to think of it, it's. Mm. it's uh, I think the show of our like twenties is more How I Met Your Mother, but How I Met Your Mother takes itself. Far too serious. I don't know about that. Never got through an episode. Never. Yeah. Never saw one. Really? Never. I saw. I never got through an episode because I tried to watch it and I was like, people told me it was good and I was like, it's fine. It's a solid B. How May Your Mother is a serialized show and it takes itself very seriously, even though it's funny and it tries to be. But like, there's a, there's a, there's a, tension to that show that you shouldn't have in a sitcom because well, it's like how does sense. he meet her yeah, there's a tension to every episode that's like it's a weird thing you, you kind of feel in the wonder years too oh yeah you know like this weird like like this weird stress about mm-hmm. and you feel it on this show too mm-hmm. and freaks and geeks there's no stress whatsoever in this my so-called show. life had that stress too, oh yeah i mean most dramas do and yeah. should yeah but most comedies should not. I don't know. How I Met Your Mother, I think, is an interesting concept. I understand why it became the hit that it became. It was sort of one of the first hybrids, you know, that sort of was kind of multi and kind of single. It was trying to do sort of both. It obviously, you know, gave Neil Patrick Harris a new lease on his career oh, and all of that. But and yeah. Thankful we all are for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, there would be I no mean, Stump Town if there were no How I Met Your Kobe. Mother. That's true. That's for sure. That's yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I don't love it. I don't, I don't really, it's not my, I mean, mind, I, I guess I, I didn't give it a fair chance, but it just didn't appeal to me from the beginning. But like, I usually give pilots like a shot and we'll come back. But it was just like, I, for the most part, I think my days of watching sitcoms ended like probably the early 2000s. I didn't really fully, you like maybe the with office, new girl towards the end. Like there was like, new I guess girl single cam. Uh, and so is the office. Would you guys yeah. watch a multicam? You know, that's what it was. I don't think I watched the multicam probably since that 70s show. You watched the Jared Carmichael show? That was a. Multi-cam. Yeah, I like that, but it felt like it was. You kind watched of like Christella? A it was. 
I tried. You watch, watch one day at a time. I, I, I know your TV. Shit. I really know this your guy's TV. Putting habits. you on blast right now. How is one day at a time? Is great. It is great. Yeah, I love that show. It makes me cry basically every time. Yeah, and it's so crazy because it is multi cam, but it's like. It's so emotional yeah. within its like intended, like limited, like things that it can do visually. It's just like all the structure of a traditional sitcom, but you're just like, whoa, I've never seen anything like this before. It's, it's really, really well I've never done. Seen it. Yeah. Did you so guys great. watch Undeclared? Yes. Yes. I loved Undeclared. I loved Undeclared <clears throat> too. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was another attempt at, you know, trying to do sort of what they were doing on Freaks and Geeks. I mean, in a half hour space. So we've talked about this a little bit, yeah. but. I'm interested in Manny Jordan's thoughts on this. Um, this obviously birthed so much cinema, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. From the Appetites of the Figs to Mike White to all the actors who went on to make all these movies. What's its TV legacy? I, that's, that's a question. That's a hard thing for because you know. Well, sorry. Ahead, yeah. that's when it. I was watching, I was like, "Is this really the beginning of premium television?" Like. The way it was presented, like visually, the the sort of the traditional storylines being like undercut with like real character moments, the deep specificity, the deep specificity, the like little moments within moments, like that one that I mentioned, where like you know the coach is eating ice yeah. cream off his chest and like yeah. listening to the di- watching yeah. different strokes, like it birthed auteur comedy, right? Which took another ten years to gestate and then yeah. show up as Louis yeah. and Better Things and Baskets. I know I'm only listening FX shows, <laughs> but like, it, yeah. To me, that's what I see when I see Freaks and Geeks because. In other ways, its legacy is in its absence, right? How many times have you been in a meeting it's legacy where you reference That's right. Freaks and Geeks and people remind you it only lasted one season and yeah. there's never been another show like it? I think it's pacing is kind of what you're circling in on too. The the sort of – we've talked a lot about how like this show basically has no act outs. Like it, it's just sort of – you know, and then something happens and they cut to a commercial. It's It's never really building towards anything in the best possible way. It's a show that is sort of fine sitting in – in weird, awkward moments, doing an episode where not much happens. So to that degree, I would agree with you. It definitely feels like um, it was the birth of something in that direction. Um, it also just feels like a show that kind of gave zero fucks, which is sort of also very premium. You know what I mean? This idea of like, we're going to do what we're going to do and maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. Um, you know, we talked, we did an episode on, uh, on ER with Brian Cogman mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago where we talked about how that was sort of, that was, kind of premium before premium, you know, that, that idea of sort of breaking molds and doing things that no one else was doing. And it sure truly didn't care. It really didn't care technologically. It also just from a filmmaking perspective, yeah. it was just breaking all sorts of new ground. This breaks ground tonally. This breaks ground in terms of just sort of ex- the fact that it exists every week. Mm-hmm. I basically say, I can't believe this show ever existed. Um, so that in and of itself, I think is, is really, it's, also, the way it's they like use a, music is pretty unique, yes. I think, for the time. It's like, it's funny. What it made me think of was like the Miami Vice pilot, as far as like <laughs> yeah. what it means the to like. best. Yeah, it's like that's one of the, the most amazing. Those two, I think, well, I would say Miami Vice is like the most amazing pilot that uses music in a way that like it's never been used in television before. And visuals, and too. Visuals, too. But like, yes, both together. So, I mean, like Michael Mann doing that. Like, when. I was like watching this episode, like I was telling you that storyline with the, that felt pretty false to me, the, mm-hmm. the baseball one. It's like, they're using songs to, to get you on board to this premise. You know, you're like that from Rocky being like the most obvious, but still like used correctly song in that moment to like the earlier songs when they're getting picked. And it's just like, that is something that shows like did, after that, but didn't really do before. Yeah. I mean, the only one that comes to mind, I mean, and we talk about Wonder Years a lot, that's sort of the only one, but again, like we're talking about the iconography of the 60s and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. No one was really using the 80s. And even Wonder Years obviously is famous for its um, satir- satirized voiceover. Yes. Like the scene that Manny's talking about, whether or not you think on kind of a macro in the room level that that makes sense. Yeah. Freaks and Geeks isn't afraid to say, we're going to sell this using the tools of mm-hmm. cinema, right? Mm-hmm. Using That's very true. This camera move and this song selection. Look how sad his face looks shot. in slow motion. And like, <laughs> look, because we've all been in writer's rooms. Yeah. It's 2019. Of course, there are very cinematic shows out there. But most rooms, you still need to 
do the shoe leather, talk about why something is why it is. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty rare in 1999 to just trust the audience enough yeah, to know yeah. that these cues. You, you also need to make, and we all we obviously like uh, like intimately know this. You need to sell why you're going to have more than a couple of setups. You need to sell that mm-hmm. in totally. the room and sell it to production mm-hmm. and sell to the network probably why you're going to take twice as long to shoot these scenes. Yep. Um, that in and of itself is the kind of conversation that I think probably puts you a bit in the red with with your studio. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and, know? It's, and it's period on top of that, right? So it's like you're, you're talking about set deck and We're going to make this look good and it's they're probably like, go good. fuck yourself. <laughs> like we want this to be good and filmic and they're like, we don't care. Um, that's, again – Totally prestige. I mean, that, that is, that's changing the mold in terms of all that stuff. It's also, you know, we've talked a lot about the pilot and how, you know, it's kind of a miracle that it was put to series at all. I, I think that in some weird way, there's kind of this weird kind of clashing of the network seeing something they'd never seen before and being like, this is new. And I don't quite know why mixed with, oh, it has a happy ending. So maybe we can have our cake and eat it too. Maybe there's a way that we can make these two things blend together. And I mean, to their credit, they let them make 18 episodes of it. Um, you know, most of these shows would have been canceled long before that. So they saw something. I just, it couldn't be weaponized at the time. And to your point, that might be its legacy, which is that it doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's still referenced in every pitch across the <laughs> yeah, every, every single, single day forever. Every single fucking teen show, I'm sure someone says, it's like got a little bit of freaks and geeks in it. I don't know. Uh, Korean freaks and geeks. Like, <laughs> I think you just sold the television show, my friend. No, I don't know. Maybe nope, I'm not Korean. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that, um, I mean, you've obviously, you've watched it a bunch of times. It's a show that you I is, have. Is it, it's sort of a bearing wall for you in terms it, of? Absolutely. Right. Also because I was the exact age. I was a junior. When right. the show came out, and I had my group of friends, <laughs> and none of us had ever seen anything right. like that on TV, and this was the only show that was appointment television right. for me and Vita James, and Kyle Borman, and David Fuchs, and we were going to get together at Kyle's house. Did you see yourself in it to some we degree? Ourselves okay. in it. We were all starting to enjoy marijuana ourselves. <laughs> we had all kind of made that transition from geek to mm-hmm. not freak per se, but we were what were known as four building kids. You were on your way. The four building was kind of the arts building. That's where you like okay. get stone and you'd sit around near the theater. I don't know. Sure. But yeah, I mean, whatever you were kids. But like, yeah, I mean, we were yeah. kids yeah. and like loved the show and that and the Sopranos were like the two shows. Where I was like, How Oh, this crazy is amazing. Is I was yeah. talking to my girlfriend yesterday about this and about the show. And she's like, cause this is her favorite show of all time. She hates all scripted television. Okay. Uh, just murder shows mostly. And like, <laughs> Does real that worry murders, you? Like, no, I mean, no. She's preparing for the worst. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, she told me yesterday that this was the show that introduced her to white music. Because she's Mexican American from Los Angeles, like me, and we went to very different kinds of high schools where this was not on yeah. the playlist, you know? Sure. And this was the year before she was going to start going to high school. Mm. And she started watching the show and immediately fell in love with it. And like, we're like, what is this music that I've never heard? And that was like, the, now she doesn't listen to any of the music she used to really? like before. Like that was like a turning point in like comedy and like music and all these things. And because it's like people didn't have the ability to find that like they do now. It yeah. was like, there's a show that's on on Thursday once a week. Sometimes, like, at the, and it's just like you said, there's huge breaks yeah. in between. Right. Instead of the internet, you get this one hour, really yeah. like 46 minutes with commercials of yep. access to this other world. It's also, you know, this speaks to tone, it speaks to specificity and what they were doing, but like very specific needle drops, very specific music mm-hmm. cues. You know, again, another reason they were probably hated by the studio. Was, exactly. Yeah. Right. Which are expensive, hard to get, whatever it is. I mean, today, Forget it. If you're in a broadcast network, they're not letting you have an actual music cue that you want. It's going to be some whatever. But it, it's just it's it, it is it's an amazing moment that this existed in, mm-hmm. and you know, painfully with a whole bunch of gaps and when it was released and all that sort of shit. But kind of a miracle that it existed for as long as it did. But also, like one other thing about it was uh, the class stuff about the show felt very real mm-hmm. and it felt very relatable, even if. You know, you went to, well, to me, like a Mexican school, a lot of the dynamics felt very real. Like, uh, Busy Phillips's character felt like a lot of people that I knew that, 
And, you know, these kids had like very complicated situations at home that were like not sugarcoated. You know, yeah. it's just like these kids are kind of raising themselves in some ways. Like their parents are mm-hmm. so occupied with their own life and their own problems. And it was just like very easy to relate, I think, for a lot of people. And that's I part of agree. its legacy. Well, so much of television presents itself as middle class, but it's not actually depicting middle class lives or lower middle class lives in some mm-hmm. of these cases. I mean, I think, you know, the Weirs are probably the most well-off family that we see on a regular basis. I mean, maybe. Schweibers are maybe a little bit more, yeah, but like, we don't see them that, that often. Them, basically, right? Like yeah. those two families. And yet they feel decidedly middle class to 100%. me. Um, they feel like they have to consider money. They feel like they have to consider how much food they're consuming. They feel like they have to consider when and how to get an Atari or a new, um, in a way that the only other show I can think of that actually did this was Married with Children. Where like, Roseanne? I really felt like, what's that? Roseanne? Roseanne. Yeah. Yeah. Where I really felt like money was, was a constant issue, yeah. but like so many shows, I mean, like, but most of them don't do most it. of them like like uh, any show we grew up with like any show up on on TGIF ostensibly about a middle class family who literally never had to worry about money or vacations or getting cars or anything ever like that mm-hmm. so that's a really interesting thing too i mean that's another that's another reason why uh, one day at a time is is also so so poignant is that they feel not just like real people but they also feel like they have real struggles and they they have real financial burdens and they have things that are go- and which is you know, just something that broadcast television just doesn't seem all that interested in exploring anymore. And also it's funny because they do it consistently without feeling like it's very special episodes. Yep. Like they used to have. One like day you're at mentioning a time. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, one day at a time. Like they're not doing that. It's still funny. Yep. But it's still affecting you. Well, and it's a condition. Yeah. It's a condition of their lives. Yep. I mean, you know, another reason that I think this probably happened like this was – um, so the show was executive, executive produced by Judd Apatow, who had not yet achieved any level of success. Paul Feig, is, this is his first thing. Yeah. Mike White, this is his first thing. Yeah. All these actors, it's Jake their first thing. It's all their first things. Nobody in that room was coming to, coming in their Mercedes. Nope. You know, nobody was showing up in their Mercedes with their Rolex or talking about their, you know, housekeepers or yeah. whatever it is. All these people had just, yeah. had just gotten their head above water. So they could really, I think, relate to those kind of things. Whereas, like, yeah, I think a lot of these shows are written by people who cannot relate. Yeah, I mean, there's there's also the unfortunate reality, which is that network TV believes that people don't want to watch television about you know middle lower class people. Right. That there's that that there's an aspiration. I, I'm saying this as I roll my eyes, an aspirational quality to families that have lots of money. I think advertising, you get more money out of the advertisers that are willing to. To, you know, if Mercedes Benz is willing to give you more money than somebody else, it's all shitty, and I'm not condoning any of it. But I think that that's part of why it's such a struggle. But then you look at like you know Roseanne when it came back and the gangbuster numbers that it had until you know she was proven to be a racist and kicked off television. Um, you know, it's just all sort of part and parcel of the fact that that speaks to a to a large swath of this country, and they don't really see themselves on television very much. It's why, and I don't think that they did it cynically, but yeah. it's one reason that This Is Us is such a brilliant combination sure. of elements. Yes. Because in the present, you have these kids who have done really well, and it's got this wish fulfillment stuff where it's like right. Sterling K. Brown. That's true. He's this very rich uh, finance guy, mm-hmm. and obviously then there's the actor. But when you get to see them in the past- Milo and Mandy are they're, struggling. They're everybody's yeah. middle-class Pittsburgh yeah. family. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Totally. It's there are a myriad of reasons why This Is Us is, is as successful as it is, and that's absolutely one of them because it's found a way to speak to everybody. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's well done. So that's what our episode on This Is Us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for coming, guys. We, yeah. we hope to have Pleasure you back to for back. a movie and, or another television show or that 70s show or whatever it is. That 70s show is 99. Yeah. We would yeah, love we'll that. See you guys for the good. pilot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's the end of 99. Oh, wait, it was 98, right? Yeah. 98. So, well, the end of season one premiered in the, in the comeback for a movie. We have so we'll many movies left movie. to do. Yeah. Um, and, or the, uh, or the season one finale of, uh, that 70s show. If yeah. You we want. can do that too. All right, guys. Um, thanks for that's it. That's it. Right. The diary. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. guys. Right, See ya. Like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want to
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.